This program provides education, not advice. Sponsors pay a fee for endorsements and interviews. See the truthayf.com disclosure page for details. This is where technology, innovation, and personal finance come together. This is the truth about your future with Rick Edelman. Brought to you by Global X ETFs, dedicated to providing investors with unexplored intelligent solutions, and by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ, Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's Friday, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Coming up on today's show, a conversation with Cal Thomas, America's number one syndicated columnist on his new book, 50 Years of Reporting on America. Hey, I'm happy to tell you about a new program I just launched. It's the Certificate in Blockchain and Digital Assets for Investors, Consumers, and Students. It's an online, self-paced course with a world-class faculty. Scott Stornetta, the co-inventor of blockchain technology, is on our faculty. So is Anders Bronworth from the Boston Fed and MIT. This course gives you the knowledge and the skills you need to understand blockchain and digital assets. It's just $249. You can learn all about it at DACFP.com, D-A-C-F-P.com. The link is in today's show notes. And for sure, crypto is booming and Tupperware is dying. Tupperware has announced that they may not be able to stay in business. Its stock is down 50%. Its bonds are trading 52 cents on the dollar. The company's sales fell 18% last year. It's kind of shocking, isn't it, for those of us who grew up with Tupperware? The company sells its products in 70 countries. The sales force, traditionally housewives, who pitch the products to friends at Tupperware parties. The company was founded back in 1946. Earl Tupper was a chemist, and he invented a plastic container that has an airtight lid. When the product was first introduced, Time magazine raved about it. House Beautiful marveled about it. But sales were initially low because Tupper was selling the product in stores. Women shopping in those stores didn't really quite get it. So Earl Tupper hired Brownie Wise. She started selling the products at hostess parties in the late 1940s. And she was able to have women hear that distinctive burping sound when you seal the lid. She flipped it upside down to prove that it didn't leak, and she even dropped it on the floor to prove that the product was unbreakable. And by 1951, Tupperware abandoned store sales, and Brownie Wise began running the sales force. Three years later, she became the first woman to appear on the cover of Business Week magazine. And she also made Tupperware a lifestyle brand. Women wanted help in the kitchen, but they also wanted careers. But back then, doors were locked. You know, you could be, if you were a woman, you could be a nurse, a teacher, a secretary. That was largely about it. But suddenly, women could have a new job as a career hosting Tupperware parties, and they could do it around their own schedules. Well, by the peak in 2007, there were 2 million people around the world, most of them women, selling Tupperware in 70 countries. The number one sales country? Indonesia. But women today in most countries have so many other options for careers. Who needs to be a sales rep hosting parties on weeknights for commission? 
And it's not just the U.S. where women have so many other career options. Tupperware has been forced to close its operations in England and Ireland, the Netherlands, Israel, and New Zealand. And so they are once again selling their products in stores, but against massive competition. And so the company is facing bankruptcy and closure. It's the end of an era. One of the biggest brands for 75 years is about to be no more. And this is why you need to pay attention to your investments. What are the companies that you're investing in? You need to make sure your investments, your ETFs and mutual funds, your portfolios are filled with the businesses of the future and not the past. And that's why you now know why I talk about crypto. And in fact, this is also why I talk about GlobalX ETFs. They have 103 ETFs, and they are all highly specialized. GlobalX doesn't have any generic bond funds or money market funds. They don't have any S&P 500 index funds. Instead, GlobalX has a lineup that spans disruptive technology, equity income, commodities, digital assets, and a lot more. And they offer this not just with ETFs, but also separately managed accounts, SMAs, which are really popular with financial advisors, as well as private funds for accredited investors and institutional investments for endowments and pension funds. GlobalX ETFs is part of the Mire Asset Financial Group, based in South Korea, 12,000 employees with nearly half a trillion dollars in assets under management and 51 offices around the country. GlobalX ETFs include lithium and battery technology, robotics and AI, cybersecurity, fintech, genomics and biotechnology, social media, telemedicine, cannabis, clean water, wind energy, solar. And they offer investments in companies that are based in Greece, Norway, Germany, Argentina, Nigeria, China, Colombia, Pakistan, Portugal, and Vietnam. They've got funds investing in copper miners, uranium, silver, gold. And if you want to invest for income, they have 27 income funds, covered call ETFs, preferred stock ETFs, dividend ETFs. GlobalX even has seven ETFs focused on minimizing risk. And one of my favorite themes, of course, is crypto. GlobalX has two crypto ETFs. I started today by telling you about the certificate in blockchain and digital assets for investors, consumers, and students. The GlobalX crypto ETFs are certainly worth looking at. You need to learn about all this. In the 1960s, your grandmother needed to learn about Tupperware. Today, in the 2020s, you need to learn about disruptive technologies, including crypto. Get all the knowledge you need from my certificate in blockchain and digital assets at DACFP.com. And learn more about GlobalX ETFs at GlobalXETFs.com and by talking with your financial advisor. Links to all of this in today's show notes. Coming up next on the program, Cal Thomas. Stay with us. The Truth About Your Future is sponsored by GlobalX ETFs. Listeners of this program enjoy fresh perspectives on the financial topics that matter most. 
especially the rise of exponential technologies. And right now, there may be no faster-moving tech story than the rise of artificial intelligence. But despite some exciting new developments, like the launch of ChatGPT, we are only beginning to scratch the surface of AI's potential. So which companies will have staying power? As an investor, it's hard to know, which is why GlobalX ETFs specializes in thematic investing strategies that harness the potential of numerous companies involved in an emerging trend, all in a single trade. Explore our investment approach along with our latest research on the emergence of AI at GlobalXETFs.com insights. Support for Rick Edelman's podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Meet Carmen, an everyday person who likes working in the garden, hosting dinner parties with friends, and listening to live music. She also participates in progress by investing in a fund that supports innovative ideas. Invesco QQQ ETF allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100, so you don't have to be an engineer to help push progress forward. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You're listening to The Truth About Your Future. I'm very happy to bring on to this program one of the most popular syndicated columnists in the United States, Cal Thomas. I've known Cal. Cal, how long have we known each other? 30 years? More? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, ever since you got me out of a passbook savings account into real investments. Well, I'll take the blame for that. Cal, of course, has been a journalist for more than 50 years, participating in our social, political, and religious conversations. Cal, unlike other pundits writing in the political world, he has always called on both political parties to take the high road and to honor our civic and religious ideals. You can learn more about Cal at calthomas.com. Cal, you've written yet another book, A Watchman in the Night. I'm going to quote from it. Uh, Here I am displaying it if you're watching this on video. A Watchman in the Night, which is what you have seen over 50 years of reporting in America. We're going to talk about that. In a summary, Cal, what have you learned after writing about America for half a century? I've learned, Rick, that uh, human nature doesn't change. You can uh, change hairstyles, clothing styles, modes of transportation. You can even change political leadership. And the one thing that never changes is human nature. Uh, When I was growing up uh, in suburban Washington, I was taught some eternal principles, uh, and they included uh, inspiration followed by motivation, followed by perspiration improves any life. Now we have flipped that into envy, greed, and entitlement. I live in Florida now, and uh, during open Medicare season uh, last December, There were ads running all over Florida television stations, and they had four common words, benefit, free, entitlement, and deserve. Now, think about that for a moment. All of these are self-directed. They require no motivation on your part. And I think with a $31 trillion debt now and an interest on that debt greater than the GDP of many nations, 
we are approaching uh, an economic uh, catastrophe. No other nation has been able to survive that kind of debt. And it's not just debt. You know, I, I presume a certain standard that always works. There are economic standards, which you know about. There are moral standards. Uh, we seem to be removing the guardrails that have protected us for the entire uh, length of our country so far. And there are foreign policy uh, standards that seem to be violated now as we see increasing challenges in the world from China, Iran, uh, terrorist groups, and others. So this has always been my standard, and I measure events, domestic and international, uh, by those standards. And that's what's been the foundation of my column for nearly 40 years now. But it's not just those observations, as strongly as you express them and as eloquently as you do it, you do so in a way that is compelling reading. You memorize and display a lot of song lyrics in your work. You sometimes use them in your columns. Talk about your affinity for show business and music. Yeah, when I started out, uh, I wanted to be in show business. Now the news has become show business, so I've arrived. Uh, I think, you know, people who write songs uh, express all sorts of things that uh, reach the heart and the mind. I just uh, wrote about uh, some of these disturbances in Chicago uh, for a column, and uh, I, I said the new mayor-elect of Chicago was excusing or seemed to be excusing some of this outrage behavior by teenagers uh, rioting in the streets and destroying property and shooting other people. And I said, it reminds me of a line from uh, West Side Story. Hey, we're depraved on account of we're deprived. <laughs> so I think uh, those kinds of, you know, lyrics uh, and even love songs kind of uh, make uh, make the point that I want to make in a uh, less strident way, I hope. And some of the folks you love to quote are the people from show business who you've had an opportunity to meet. I mean, we've known each other for decades and we've gone to dinner many times and and you've regaled me with so many stories of the incredible celebrities you've had the opportunity to get to know. Well, most celebrities uh, are basically have low self-esteem. And so when you praise them and uh, quote from some of their work, they you, you bring them into your orbit. I remember one time I had a, a show on Fox and uh, Olympia Dukakis was uh, going to be my guest. Uh, she didn't really like Fox, but her nephew worked there. So for his sake, she would come in and do the interview. So she's walking down the hall with kind of a, uh, a stiff look on her face. And I said, Olympia, I'm so glad to see you. I'd seen her play the night before she and her husband were playing in a Greek tragedy. I said, you know what my favorite line is from uh, uh, from the movie Moonstruck? Uh, she said, what? I said, well, you're, you're, you're having dinner at another table. And then you move over to this guy who has just thrown a glass of water into one of his students' Uh, face and uh, he walks you home and he says, "May I come in?" And you say, "No." And uh, he says, "Why not?" And you say, "Because I'm a married woman and I know who I am." Well, right then she starts laughing and was a tremendous guest. I've known uh, one of my dearest friends, Marvin Hamlish, uh, of course, the Pulitzer Prize winner uh, for a chorus line, and he was a rehearsal pianist for Barbara Streisand and uh, wrote so many great songs the way we were, uh, so many. And um, Barbara Cook, a tremendous uh, singer. I don't know. I, I just uh, I just have fallen into this and uh, still love uh, show business people. I think they're very, very talented. 
I admire their talent, and I've been fortunate enough to meet a number of them over the years. I think people ask me your favorite interview. They're expecting a president or something. I said, no, no, my favorite interview was Julie Andrews. I stalked her for 40 years before she finally gave in to an interview, and you can still see it on YouTube. And she is probably my favorite as well, having grown up with, of course, everybody's favorite movie, uh, Mary Poppins. And yet you have a photo in the book of you and Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. I uh, met them on the eve of their 50th wedding anniversary in 1999. They both had uh, some health issues. Dale had had a stroke and was in a wheelchair. And her daughter told me that she might not be able to come out. But I had lunch with both of them. And she got up out of her wheelchair outside. And I have this fabulous picture with the two of them. And uh, he just regaled me with all kinds of uh, stories about filming those Westerns. And I also got to meet uh, Gene Autry once at breakfast with him. And I said, let me, let me ask you about whose idea was it to put those guns on the bridle of uh, Champion, your horse? Well, he said, mm, boy, here's a fan. You know, he's he really knows me. So he's telling me, I said, by the way, whatever happened to Champion? And he said, well, uh, when uh, Champion died, I, I called Roy Rogers and uh, asked him what he had done with Trigger when he died. And he said, well, I, I stuffed him and put him in my museum. He said, right. how much did it cost? And he told him, he said, hell no, bury the SOB. Well, you know, he was owner of the <laughs> LA Angels. He had diamonds on his sunglasses. The guy was not on food stamps. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that element, Cal, that I find that makes you really very different from, from others who write in the political space. You humanize these stories and examples, and you make us all remember, as you said at the end of the day, it all comes down to human nature. You've got a lot of liberal friends. Let's face it, you're one of the most conservative columnists in the field, but you've got a lot of liberal friends and in a day when liberals and conservatives are pretty much at each other's throats with an unbelievable name calling, rather than standing side by side, just aligning exclusively on the conservative element, you recognize we're all fellow Americans. How did you do that? How do you manage to acknowledge that the other guys aren't evil just because they're the other guys? Well, I think you have to get to know people. You know, we're all members of tribes now, and we're defined by labels. And so many people don't get to know other people uh, from another political worldview. They don't know about their families, their struggles, how they came to their point of view. Uh, Bob Beckel, the late Bob Beckel, one of my dearest friends, and I wrote a column for USA Today for 10 years called Common Ground. And we uh, wrote a book by the same title. Bob used to say, I've now uh, written more books than I've read. And we'd go out on the we'd go out on the lecture circuit, and we would kind of debate, and we'd say, "Well, you know, I, that's a good point. I think I could agree with that." And he would say the same to me, and and then at the end, uh, I would uh, say, "Now, Bob is not on the other side. Can we get rid of the other side business? Bob is my friend, my fellow American. Both our dads were in World War II. They weren't fighting for or against Franklin Roosevelt. They were fighting to maintain an American ideal." America has always been a, an idea in search of the ideal. And then we'd hug each other and people would be crying and all that kind of stuff. But uh, this is how I became friends with Ted Kennedy. I never I never denounced him. I, I, I would you know critique some of his policies, 
but I would never denounce him. Now we're into a period where uh, if you don't like somebody's political view, they're evil, they're destroying America, the name calling, Trump has taken this to a new low level, I'm sorry to say, and DeSantis is getting into it, and it's just not productive. It doesn't produce results. It may produce votes among some people, but it doesn't solve any problems. And if you have that attitude to a fellow American, then I think you, uh, you know, can reach their heart and soul a lot better than denouncing them. And I think this is why, because of everything you've just said, there are liberals and Democrats, as well as conservatives, endorsing your new book, A Watchman in the Night. Normally, you have only Republicans endorsing Republican-written books and Democrats endorsing Democrat-written books, but you cross the aisle. And it's that crossing of the aisle that used to be so much more common than today. I remember a story you shared with me that I'd like you to repeat here for everybody's benefit. One of the conclusions you reached as to why there is so much vindictiveness and so much opposition, left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, liberal versus conservative, that didn't really exist in the past. And the story you shared with me was the fact that the reason there wasn't as much divisiveness in the past is because they knew each other. Whereas today, Republicans and Democrats in Congress don't know each other because they don't socialize the way they used to. Exactly right, Rick. And that's been a real problem in Washington. When I was growing up, there were these uh, great party givers, and they would invite people, Republicans and Democrats, all kinds to uh, talk over the shrimp bowl, as one of them told me. And it's pretty tough to uh, denounce somebody you've just had dinner with, or you've gotten to know their spouse or their kids or whatever. And the media feed a lot of this. I'll tell you a quick story. Some years ago, I was invited to be on Good Morning America on ABC. And usually by six o'clock at night, the booker calls and gives you your transportation information. I hadn't been called that particular night. And so I called her and I said, hey, what gives? She said, oh, I'm glad you called back. We've decided to go with somebody else. I said, why is that? She said, well, we wanted somebody a little edgier. So the media feed this kind of thing. They say they want compromise. They say they want civility, but they have on the bomb throwers from each side. And so Mm -hmm. you hear things like, you're ruining America. No, you're ruining America. Well, you're a secular humanist commie. Well, you're a right-wing Bible-thumping bigot. And the host says, and we'll be back with more civil discussion after these messages. (laughs) It's just not real life. It's not how real people live their lives. It's sort of like wrestling. It's fake, but people go out and see it anyway. You know, I used to be on uh, CNN pretty often, and shortly after Donald Trump won the presidency, I was scheduled to go on the air on a given news story. Uh, Whenever there's a, a financial story, I would often be called. And I was scheduled to be on the air, and the producer called me a day before the show. Uh, as usual, to talk about the upcoming bit and what we're going to talk about and so on. And in this particular case, the producer said, and tell me the angle of this story regarding President Trump. And I said, there is no angle. This is a financial story. This is about what's going on in the the marketplace. It's got nothing to do with President Trump. I mean, he hasn't said anything on it. There's no policy issue. There's no connection between this story and Donald Trump. And the producer said, then we can't have you on the air because if it doesn't involve Donald Trump, we aren't covering it. And I've had that kind of experience very often. I don't mean to solely cite CNN, but in great many areas, as you're describing, if it isn't creating a turmoil or a conflict, which is often rooted in politics, we don't want to cover it because that's not news. I remember similarly during the O.J. Simpson 
trial, which was riveting the nation. I was giving a speech at the National Association of Broadcasters, and that week was the week that the jury verdict was going to come in. And we were hanging around um, off stage, and I was talking with a bunch of radio talk show hosts, and they were all commiserating, you know, talking about the fact that the uh, trial was about to come to an end. And I made the comment, thank goodness, I'm just so fed up with the O.J. Simpson trial. That's the only news there's been in America for the last 18 months. It'll be so good to get back to normal news. And they all told me I was crazy because their ratings had gone through the roof. And they were lamenting the end of the trial because it meant the end of a news cycle. Yeah, well, this is what the whole uh, Dominion versus Fox News trial is about and memos that were discovered uh, during discovery uh, that uh, the CEO of Fox uh, said we we, we can't uh, report the truth, basically, uh, because we're going to lose uh, so many viewers and lose ratings, and that means lose money. And that's where we are in so much of the media today. Uh, there's a talk show host friend of mine who says the greatest power the media have is the power to ignore the stuff they don't cover. They don't cover civility. They don't cover common ground. They don't cover people reaching out across the aisle. I wrote a column recently about a speech Ronald Reagan made in 1986 at Boston College honoring Tip O'Neill, then the Speaker of the House, liberal Democrat from Massachusetts. He said the nicest things about him, called him my fellow American, my friend. Nobody could make a speech like that and get elected today. You go back and look at this and you say, how in the world? And yet Reagan won twice the second time with a major landslide, 49 states. Uh, why can't we get that back now? People say they yearn for it, but yearning for it and actually achieving it are two different things. And so with that in mind, I want to turn to some of the pages of your book, uh, your, your brand new book, A Watchman in the Night, What I've Seen Over 50 Years Reporting on America by Cal Thomas. I'm just going to go through a couple of excerpts, and I want you to comment on these. You made a comment. You said the following. I wrote about a letter I had received from a Virginia woman who was concerned about what her 13-year-old daughter was being taught in the public school. The sex education classes were mixed, she said and parents were not notified about them. Now, you're writing about something that happened decades ago, and it sounds like something you could have said yesterday. It could, because it's still going on, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of people are using the uh, public schools and the universities to advance a singular point of view without parental knowledge or consent in the case of the public schools. I went on uh, in that column, as I recall, to say, look, why don't you pull your kid out if, if uh, and a lot of them are, especially since COVID, you know, people have discovered homeschooling, they've discovered what is really being taught in the school. And it's not just the gender and sex issues. It's it's the, a look at, uh, you know, our history from a, uh, a prism that American is, America has always been racist and sexist and these other things. So I think, you know, we don't send our military to Russia or China to be trained. We train them in America with American weapons and American strategy and American values. But too many people send their kids, in my view, into schools which are antithetical to their beliefs and wonder why they come out believing something different than when they went in. So I think there's a way to do this. 37 states now have school choice um, at various levels. I think it should be national. It's kind of ironic to me that some of my friends on the left who are pro-choice when it comes to abortion are anti-choice when it comes to education uh, for those fortunate enough to have been born. So I think you can't have it both ways. If, if choice is good for one, why, why not for the other? And what I find fascinating is that the conversation has been largely unchanged 
in 40 years. That's right, because here, here's the key. If you understand this about Congress, Rick, you're not especially, you understand everything about Washington. If you solve a problem, you no longer have the issue. And they, everybody knows about Social Security and Medicare. Everybody knows the figures are there for anybody to look at. In 10 years, I've read uh, Social Security is going to be bankrupt, and there'll be two choices, reduce benefits or raise taxes or both. But the politicians won't touch it. The Democrats want the issue, and the Republicans are scared to death that they'll have another ad like uh, the Democrats ran some years ago when Paul Ryan was the Speaker of the House and gave a, a decent proposal for reforming Social Security and Medicare. Wasn't perfect, but it was a good starting point. And they they did a commercial of a, a an actor, Ryan lookalike, pushing Granny in a wheelchair over a cliff. Now, that's not a serious response to a serious proposal, but that's what you get in Washington these days. What I find so fascinating about your book, Cal, is that it is not only a walk down memory lane. You begin each chapter, each year, with uh, what was going on, what were the major news stories uh, of the era, and it was it's just such a, a walk down memory lane, but you provide a context to it as well with your commentary about those news events, and I can't help but contrast what you were saying then to where we are today. Let me, let me share an excerpt from what you said regarding 1993. You said, I attended a gathering in Washington of successful black Americans called Black Expo USA. I wrote a lament that the media coverage so often focused on young black criminals and black victims of crime. It appeared I was the only journalist who showed up at the event. There was nothing on the evening news. This, I said, was its own type of racism. Yeah, this was a meeting in Washington of uh, black entrepreneurs, successful men and women who uh, had businesses they had started on their own or picked up as an inheritance from their uh, parents. Uh, they were well-dressed, or as Joe Biden said about Obama, they were clean and articulate. Uh, <clears throat> that was a little humor there. Don't write me in that. Call me a racist, please. Uh, and uh, it was an amazing thing. It, but as I said, uh, there was no media coverage. Uh, and I said in that column, apparently the media care more about uh, dead blacks in the streets than successful blacks on their feet. Nice little turn of phrase there. And, and it's terrible. And it is a dumb form of racism. As a matter of fact, I called a meeting of the general managers of the local Washington, D.C. stations. And I said, look, I'm a native of this town. I was born here. I grew up here. I'm old enough to remember when segregation still existed in Washington, D.C., okay? You have a responsibility to promote some positive stories about Black people. All you do is cover stories about guns and violence and poverty and deaths in the street and all that. That's not a complete profile. I'm not saying you shouldn't cover those stories, but you need to balance it with something else. Uh, this is one of the reasons uh, people in the Washington suburbs and now other other places now have gated communities and uh, have have uh, you know firearms and all these other things because they're living in fear. A lot of this is promoted in the media, and that it seems to be something uh, that is a trend that has been persisting for a very long time. And you mentioned that it is largely down to human nature, but I have to remain hopeful that we can break this chain somehow, some way. Well, I think it starts with each of us. Uh, I, you know, you mentioned a minute ago about uh, the people who endorsed my book. One of my uh, new great friends is Henry Louis Gates Jr. of Harvard. Skip Gates has done these tremendous series on PBS on African American lives, and uh, one of the things he did, you know, he, he, do, he does these DNA tests 
to uh, help trace the uh, slave ancestors of a particular individual. And so he decided to do a, a DNA test on himself. And he found that he was 60% Irish. I said, Skip, you don't look Irish. He's black. <laughs> and uh, this is the whole thing. We're all mixed up in the great gene pool of life. There may be purebred dogs, but there are no purebred humans. So to hate somebody else for their race, for their faith, for their politics, is really hating yourself. It's non-productive. It's anti-productive. So I was happy to have his wonderful endorsement. And then on the other side, I got Pat Sajak of Wheel of Fortune. Now, you can't get better than those two. That's Cal Thomas, who has just written his newest book, A Watchman in the Night, What I've Seen Over 50 Years Reporting on America. It's always great to spend time with you, my friend. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Rick. Love to Gene. You know, every Friday here on the program, I would present to you Gene's segment. Gene has her own website. Yeah, selfcarewithgene.com. The link is in the show notes. That's where you'll find Gene's weekly segment this week. Gene's word of the week is smile. I encourage you to go over to her website, selfcarewithgene.com. You'll get all her content, including her podcast this week along with our blog posts and some exclusive offerings, too. You can even ask Jean your questions on self-care at Ask Jean at our website, selfcarewithjean.com. Jean's really passionate about sharing her knowledge and insights with you on self-care, mindfulness, overall wellness. I know she wants to hear from you. And you can sign up for her free email updates and subscribe to her on her own social media channels. This podcast is almost over. Head over there right now. The link is in the show notes. The Truth About Your Future is sponsored by Global X ETFs. Amid inflation, rising rates, and a host of other economic challenges, volatility has been one of the few constants lately. But as listeners of this show know better than anyone, it's important to look past the short-term headlines and focus on the bigger picture. Despite the ups and downs of the news cycle, exponential technologies continue to advance, shaping a world of new possibilities in engineering, transportation, healthcare, and renewable energy. At Global X ETFs, we offer a diversified product lineup, including risk management solutions to navigate the storm, along with thematic strategies targeting the growth opportunities of tomorrow. Whatever your goals, visit GlobalXETFs.com to explore how our research and insights may help you achieve your goals. Did you know Schwab offers a satisfaction guarantee? If for any reason you're not completely satisfied, Schwab will refund your fee or commission and work with you to make things right. You won't find that kind of promise everywhere, but you will find it at Schwab. It's just another way that they put clients' interest at the heart of everything they do. Learn what's included and how it works at schwab.com satisfaction. That's schwab.com satisfaction. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, leave a review for The Truth About Your Future on Apple. I read all the reviews and I might share yours on the air. You'll also be helping others discover the show, and I'll appreciate it. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday. The Truth About Your Future with Rick Edelman has been brought to you by Global X ETFs, dedicated to providing investors with unexplored intelligent solutions, and by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ, Invesco Distributors, Inc., Get the truth about your future with Rick Edelman. It's the truth, AYF.com.